The Fly. A marching band made up of the ghosts of 14 jazz musicians turned to their right to honor the remains of the world's most famous fly. Percy appeared in the final scene of Hitchcock's Psycho in what has been universally lauded as a tour de force performance. Anthony Perkins co-starred in the scene and wrote the foreword to Percy's New York Times best-selling memoir, having said, and I quote, a talent like Percy's is once in a generation. I consider him one of the leading lights of our generation and, fortunately for me over the years, a dear friend, end quotes. Percy trained at the Stella Adler School and counted Gene Hackman and Dustin Hoffman amongst his luminaries. It has often been said that Percy never quite reached the Herculean heights of Psycho, but then who amongst us can say they've touched perfection even once? The work stands as a testament and an example to future generations of what can be done to push the form. Brando and Clift were once overheard in a bar speaking very disparagingly about Percy. If you know either of them, they've never had a bad word to say about any actor publicly, which goes to show just how threatened and intimidated by Percy's talents they were. Percy and Van Cleef became acquaintances having appeared together in The Head of Balthazar Gabriella. Never having shared a scene together, the two remained offset drinking companions. Percy inspired many flies to enter acting, and a seismic shift in the number of leading roles for flies between 1962 and 1988 went from zero to three. Starring in Wells' version of Kafka's The Fly, the film divided audiences, but what did not divide audiences and critics alike is how mesmerizing Percy's performance was. A few years in the theater followed, roles such as Macbeth and a string of Beckett plays. Percy enjoyed his time in the theater, but his heart and philosophy of acting felt more at home in film. He preferred the subtlety of film. His performance style wasn't big. It kept it all contained, non-acting, a style of being, as he liked to call it. You saw Percy blown up on the silver screen and it was all there, the nuance, the chaos, the empathy, it beamed out from the screen in a way he didn't feel he could accomplish convincingly and truthfully in the theatre. He did win an Olivier Award for his performance in Waiting for Godot, alongside Ian McKellen, but that marked the end of his theatre days. He collaborated with Goddard on a film about a delinquent bank robber who falls for a checkout girl who can quote passages of Voltaire. It was one of Goddard's minor works, having lost some of the razzmatazz of his 60s days. Percy could always be relied upon to elevate a film and often appeared on set to aid actors by running lines. Sean Penn and Casey Affleck have both thanked Percy in their Oscar speeches for unofficial appearances he made to their lauded work, for which he never once asked for any credit or payment. He didn't die a wealthy fly. What he left was a legacy and the Percy Scholarship. All fees paid for for three years for one student anthropod at the Stella Adler School. Percy will be missed. His art will live on, his legacy will live on. Watching parties will commence across Uzo and Ked to commemorate Percy, starting with Psycho and ending with his last film for John Huston, The King. Pop star Illy Dialish has dedicated her song Stiletto Sin to the homeless people of Ked. The musical community have unanimously praised Dialish for her kind gesture and genius. The video, which as of today has 955 million views on YouTube, shows Dylish as a homeless woman selling matches on the streets of Ked. Freezing cold and at the point of death, she's gifted a pair of stilettos by a mysterious wealthy passerby. They are no ordinary pair of stilettos. These stilettos turn the grey and sepia-tinged look of Ked into a vibrant Technicolor theme park, full of giant teddy bears and canny floss castles. We went out onto the streets of Ked to interview some homeless people and see what they thought of Stiletto Sin. 
Hello, what's your name? Steve. Hi, Steve. How long have you been homeless? About three years. Wow. That's a long time to wear the same socks. How's your physical health, Steve? Mm, not great. I've got gangrene eating my right foot. You can probably tell my skin's a bit yellow. Liver and kidneys don't function the way they're meant to. Right. And how's your mental health, Steve? Also not great, to be honest. Wake up most days freezing cold and hungry. All I want to do is just close my eyes and not exist. And why do you think you go on, despite what looks like, and, and I hope you let mind me saying, Miss Steve, despite what looks like a hopeless and tragic situation? You just keep going, don't you? I guess you do, Steve. Well, we just showed you a music video by the artist Illy Dynish, Stiletto Sin. What did you think of it? Not really for me, that. No? And what if I told you that Illy Dylish dedicated that song to you, Steve? Does that change your enjoyment of the song? Like she's dedicating the, the money from it? Ha! <laughs> no, the, the song. The sentiment of the song is dedicated to you and other homeless people like you, Steve. Dylish wants you to know that she sees you and understands the pain you must be going through. Does that make you feel better? Uh... A little bit better, wouldn't you say? No. So there we have it, Illy Dylish and her new song Stiletto Sin already having a positive effect on the world and the homeless community. Back to you in the studio, Ed. Exsanguination. Dangling upside down from hooks. Large bronze hooks. Three small incisions made at the Achilles. The fibularis longus tendon and the tibial nerve. The blood rushes to the heads of its victims while they simultaneously bleed out from those small incisions. Usually it takes around three hours for them to pass out. A further five to eight hours until their heart stops beating and they die from blood loss. Exsanguination is a common practice in Uzo, within an unclassified detention center known only as the detention center. Its entire purpose is to inflict as long and as painful a death on those unfortunate souls called to hang from its hooks as possible. The blood of the victims is funneled beneath their heads and collects inside large Louis Vuitton zip-up bags. These are part of an art project conducted by Damien Burst, with the permission from the government of Uzo. Whether the Louis Vuitton bags full of blood will be displayed in a gallery or used for some other purpose is as yet known only to Damien Burst and the government of Uzo. It has been three years. 267 Louis Vuitton bags have been collected. The skin under my eyes is folding my face into it. Like a life-sized human origami, I feel myself folding in. Along the crease of the tissue paper skin under my eyes, I strap on my ice skates. There's an ice rink on the inside of my eyelids that only opens at night. Steven Spielberg takes his nephew to this particular ice rink because according to Steven, it's one of the few places he can go without being asked for an autograph. His assistant Maggie has emailed me a number of times to open the ice rink behind my eyelids earlier, but it affects the quality of my sleep and so I've declined on all but one occasion. Stephen signed a Jaws DVD for me, but I lost it on the way home. I left it on the seat next to me on the underground. I'd like to think it's gone to a better home, but I know that it hasn't. I think Stephen is going to ask me to use my ice rink as a shooting location for his next film. He hasn't asked me yet, but Maggie has intimated that his next film will be about an Olympic ice skater. I don't know if I'll charge the production for using the ice rink, 
or if I'll cash in the favour with Spielberg at a later date. It's not every day you can say Spielberg owes you a favour. Pan-Asian. What does it mean to be Pan-Asian? Every airport has a restaurant serving Pan-Asian cuisine. Pan-Asian this, Pan-Asian that. I carry a set of steel chopsticks in the inside pocket of my grey blazer in the event they serve some version of Asian or Pan-Asian cuisine on the flight. At the members lounge they offer a Pan-Asian buffet. Caucasian women greet me with Pan-Asian smiles and Pan-Asian dresses. Whoever is behind the marketing for Pan-Asia is doing their absolute best to indoctrinate me into a Pan-Asian way of life. I like a glass of red wine on the flight. I wear an eye mask for two-thirds of the flight with my airpods in while I listen to Tony Robbins inspire me to optimise my success. The success of Pan-Asian cuisine jives with my Western imperialist ideology, and I don't like that. I'd rather not have anything non-Western interfere with my Western ideas. Pan-Asia is winning the PR war with its stupid catchy name and celebrity endorsements from the likes of Scarlett Johansson. She's appeared in my airline screen reclining in a business class chair being served Pan-Asian food and Pan-Asian drinks by a Pan-Asian agent. The cult of Pan-Asia is here. You can't have me. I won't buy what you're selling. Hi. Hi, my name's De- No. Again. Hi. My name's Dave. I studied eugenics at Uzo's University of Science and Tech. I think I'd be great for the job because I... But... Oh, God. Uh, hi. My name's Dave. I studied eugenics at Uzo's University of Science and Tech. I'd be great for the job of gene therapeutic assistant. I've long since felt the best way to deal with the occupants of Ked is to remove them from the gene pool by creating an army of superhuman soldiers who could easily eradicate them. Gene therapeutics seem like the best way to ensure the future of a prosperous Uzo and a diminishment of its threat, namely Ked. I hope you'll consider me for my Oh God, I, I hope you'll... I hope you'll consider me, I hope you'll, oh, start again. Uh, I've long since felt the best way to deal with the occupants of, I've, I've long since felt the best way to deal with the occupants of Ked is to remove them from the gene pool by creating an army of superhuman soldiers who could easily eradicate them. Gene therapeutics seem like the best way to ensure the future of a prosperous Uzo and a diminishment of its threat, Ked. I hope you'll consider my application and know I've been a fan of both this institution, its long history of innovation, and the Prime Minister. Thank you for your time. Carcinogenic burps. I ate a packet of quavers and three slices of rye bread with an enthusiastic amount of Lurpak butter. I sat in a chair because chairs are for sitting in. A feeling came over me like warm air from a fart that hangs from your nostrils with nowhere else to go. I belched. It caught in my throat and unfurled from my furry tongue into the world and boomerang-like arrived back at my nostrils. A carcinogenic burp that made me feel like a man in a pair of long johns who had spent three nights licking every ash-covered surface in Chernobyl, after the events of Chernobyl. It was the first time a burp had ruined my day. The burp brought with it an unsettling feeling like the first appearance of the Ringwraiths in Peter Jackson's camp masterpiece Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. The carcinogenic quality of that burp was unshakable, I dare say, noxious. It brought with it the inescapable idea that I was giving myself cancer. First of the lungs, then of the throat, then of the mind. Mind cancer worried me quite a lot. I worried about many things in those years, including Zac Efron's botched jaw surgeries, and whether Jodie Foster was treated appropriately as a child actor, 
but none made me more worrisome than the carcinogenic burp. You heard the one about the mass and the crocodile. The mass was sitting on the banks of the river, need to get across to feed its family. Don't ask me how it ended up on the other side of the river. Anyway, a lone crocodile swam over to the bank and said, you need to get across? The mass said, yeah. Crocodile said, jump on my back, I'll take you across. Mass said, how can I trust you? You'll probably eat me. Crocodile said, well, you haven't got many options, have ya? Mass said, that's true. Mm, you promise not to eat me? Crocodile said, I promise. Mass said, mm, all right. Mouse hopped onto the back of the crocodile. Two seconds later, crocodile gobbled down the mouse. Then, breaking the fourth wall and looking directly into the audience, crocodile said, well, look, I'm a crocodile. I behave like a crocodile. Elton John's Fisher Price piano. I kidnapped Elton John. I bought him a kid's piano from Fisher Price, and he hasn't complained about the kidnapping ever since. I thought, like most people, that Elton John was a normal human height, somewhere in the 5'5 to 5'11 range. Elton John is not normal human height. Elton John is 3 foot 8 inches. I measured him while he was asleep. He sleeps like a vampire, arms across his chest, on his back. Made it very easy to measure him. He won't be without his Fisher Price piano. I have to bounce him on my knee while he plays a barely recognisable version of Tiny Dancer. Elton wants us to go on a Scandinavian sauna holiday. I told him I would, but truth be told, I don't intend to spend much more time with him. The kidnapping was a fleeting impulse, and that impulse is passing. I've told him that I can't imagine he would cope inside a sauna without his Fisher Price piano. He scowled at me and said, I wouldn't have to. Elton can get shirty. When he isn't playing his Fisher Price piano, he's eating Marmite crumpets in threes. And when he isn't eating his Marmite crumpets in threes, he tends to get shirty. I'm intrigued to see how the Fisher Price piano will inform this period of his creative output. If I could use one word to describe Elton over this period, it would be renewed. Life just seems to go on and 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 on slow journalism get your subscription to our monthly newsletter we report on the day's global news two three and sometimes four weeks after the events took place in today's whip was a world of crash bandicoot correspondence and zip zoogled data transfer our approach to journalism remains radical radical today looks like slowing down an appreciation for the perspectives that mature over time like layers of dead skin thickening around the toenails of quincy jones at £12.78 a month, you're able to select how frequently you receive your news. For local and global stories of great significance, you can decide whether to be notified 24 hours, 48 hours, 72 hours, or one week after the events took place. For all other news of a less apocalyptic and urgent nature, we'll notify you up to and including eight months beyond the date of public release. Bill, I've got a lady here for the Times newspaper she wanted to speak with you. I've told her you're tired and need your sleep. Let her in. I'll speak to her.
Are you sure, Bill? Was it long since you had your injection? Janice, show her in. Yes, Bill. Just through here. Thanks. Hello. Hello, I'm Susan, the journalist from The Times. I know who you are. You've been emailing. We have. Wasn't sure if you'd remember. Because of all the medication? No, the short-term memory loss hasn't been one of the symptoms yet. I'll need to take a nap soon, so give me your three most important questions. Of course. Uh, so why did you decide that assisted dying at 34 was right for you? I mean, if the new laws are coming sooner, I'd have done it sooner. The short answer is, because light's rubbish. The longer answer, I was made redundant. AI took over the work we were doing at Dragnet. What did you do at Dragnet? I was an environments designer, one of the jobs AI took over. My wife, met a prompt engineering, left me. I'm sorry to hear that. I wanted to ask about something specific. Data is being released to show that men of 38 and below are unable to sustain an erection, an increase from 14% to 68% in four years. Have you found that to be true? Oh yeah, I, I stopped trying to toss myself off a year ago. It felt like a collapsed souffle. Now it just endlessly drips. I'm sorry to hear that. Did that have an impact on your decision? It's all had an effect. The subscriptions was another one. How so? I couldn't afford my Spotify and Netflix subscriptions if I wanted to eat. Both went up three months ago. Unaffordable for anyone on UBI. I live on bread and beans most days, and that's without subscriptions. So your music and TV subscriptions were important to your mental health? I'm sitting in a room doing what otherwise? Thinking, that's what. And that's when I decide if it isn't going to get better. The best thing I could do would be to alleviate the burden on the state and pass over. That's how they phrase it on their advertising pamphlets, isn't it? For those who don't want to burden the state. And did any of the incentives affect your decision? Well, yeah, the 15K spread between my two kids helped. It's not much in the grand scheme of things, but it will buy them a new domestic robot. And my last question, do you think the government could have done more to protect human citizens like yourself from falling victim to the AI revolution? Mm. No, inevitable, really. Bill, thank you for your time. The article will be published on Tuesday. I'll be gone on Monday. Ah, thanks for your time. Pleasure. Janice, somebody for my bath now. I can't hold my head up. Gas the medication. Of course, yeah, I'll take you now. Do you want to play that new Elton John album? Yeah, the Fisher-Price Piano Songbook. Play Sauna Blues first. Play Sauna Blues first. Sauna Blues first. Sauna Blues first.